my worst enemy The flesh that's covering me Brings me down to my knees Welcome to Sermons in the Park a ministry exploring biblical truth from the Word of God, focusing on the truths that help us in our daily walk with Christ in every aspect of our lives. Now, here is your Reverend, Jamie McCaskill. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all-new Sermons in the Park. As always, I am your Reverend, Jamie McCaskill. And yes, this is one that's uh, just the audio over the top of the um, picture, Um, but it's only because I still have some stuff. I, I need to, I'm trying to move some stuff around to put my uh, podium and everything in a better spot. So please just bear with me. Um, so this one is also not going to be on that, on Genesis. So we're not continuing that today. I still have a couple more episodes I need to um, just kind of look at my notes and kind of fix up a little bit so um today let's do something let's do a little just a special uh on biblical evangelism so before we get started let's bow our heads and thank our heavenly father for all the great and wonderful gifts he's given us heavenly father we come to you like we always do here on on our sermons in the park like we honestly should every day just to say thank you thank you for all the great and wonderful gifts you've given us thank you for the gift of air the gift of food, the gift of life, the gift of being able to go out and do what I'm going to be talking about here today, and that is to evangelize, to spread your word. And we we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for all these great and wonderful people that we run into each and every day. We thank you for our families, our mothers, our fathers, our kids, our wives and husbands, and every everything you give us, the blue sky, a beautiful sunset over over an ocean or river, uh, the snow that might fall on the on on these December cold December days. We thank you for all of it: the mountains, the the birds, the trees, the everything. It's all these are all things you give us, and we we thank you. We thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died so long ago for our sins. Amen. So, back to what I was saying, biblical evangelism. If you've listened to me long enough here on Sermons in the Park, then you've heard me a few times encourage you to go out and to evangelize, to spread the gospel to the people that you meet. Whether it's, you know, in a grocery store line or a store in Circle K while you're paying for your gas or whatever, just to, just to spread the gospel. And, and I am a strong believer that each and every one of us, if you are a Christian, that you should do that. You know, even if it's just to take a, a gospel tract, which guys, if you contact me, I tend to order those in bulk. If you want to grab one, you know, grab some to pass out. That is evangelizing because you're spreading the gospel. And sadly, I have met so many people who do not believe in evangelizing. People who believe that God would not want us to do that. Who will say things like, that's just the wrong way. I have lost close relationships with some of my supposed Christian friends due to my belief in that. 
so today let's let's take a look at, at what a biblical evangelism is. You know, I always like to look at a word and um, and look at the definition and the history of that word. So why don't we just start there first? So what is the definition of evangelism? Evangelism is proclaiming the gospel, right? And the gospel is that all-too-good-to-be-true news about Jesus. Jesus, it, that is, and it is the power of God to, to save everyone who believes it and, and turns from their sin to follow Jesus. What we're going to do today is we're going to try to explain what that is. We're going to explore the biblical message. We're going to explore the motives and the methods uh, of its practice, I should say, through every, you know, every age, every culture. Now, let me say this for those of you who, who do not like evangelism, but you claim to be a Christian. Jesus was an evangelist. He called on all of his followers to learn how to evangelize. When we look at the apostles, what we see is that they give us instruction about the message. They give us the motives. They give us the methods of evangelism in every age and every culture. When we look at these guidelines, okay, Christians and churches will, we, we will explore a wide variety of, uh, uh, or I should say churches will explore a wide variety of evangelistic initiatives that prove to be effective in um, different contexts, okay? When you start to, to study evangelism seriously, like I did when I first got into ministry, you'll see that it's thrilling and it's also a privilege. It's, it's the most urgent priority that we have as a child of God. God delayed the end of the world for this particular mess, mission. When we evangelize, we are, we are uh, following the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we make, we make disciples of all nations. That's what he said. Evangelism is also the means that uh, the Holy Spirit uses to draw everyone to salvation, you know, from the horrors of hell to the happiness of heaven, from the, you know, the glory of God forever, right? Now, Let's look at what the Bible says about the message, the, the motivation, the methodology of evangelism. You see, evangelism is proclaiming God's evangel. That's where we get the word for, for, from, which is the gospel. The message, or if you like, the word, is empowered by God to create a saving faith and people to believe the gospel to so that he can get them to turn away from sin and follow Jesus. I've said this in the past, but that word gospel means good news, right? But there's also another word for, for good news that the Romans actually used more frequently. The word gospel was used on special and momentous announcements. Okay, like, say, I don't know, the birth of an emperor or something like that. So 
It is the too-good-to-be-true news. Doesn't that fit the gospel of God? It's a sensational announcement to the world, and it, 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 it's revealed through the Bible. I invite you to, to turn, turn to Paul's masterpiece on grace, the book of Romans. Go and read Romans chapter 1 to 17. Now, not everything good that is announced in the Bible is the gospel. I want to make that clear. It's only specific content in the Bible. If you let's turn, why don't we look at the Bible like we always do? Let's look at the Old Testament. There is the gospel of God there. It's when he promises the kingdom and a king. It was announced to Abraham when God promised a kingdom to him that would bring blessings, it's the Bible says, to all nations. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, which reads this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Okay? When we flip over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, we see it called the gospel. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through, the, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. The history of Israel is a picture of, of, of this, this uh, future kingdom that these blessings would come from them, right? Now, then we see God announce the gospel when he, he repeats that promise of a king for his kingdom over in Isaiah. You can go read those. I'll, I'll just list them here briefly because we're, we're not going to read too many today because this is going to be long. Trust me. I have a lot to say on this. But you can go look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 to 11. Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 to 10. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. These verses announce that the Lord will, will liberate his people. Okay? He will reveal his salvation to, to all nations. He will, come to the, the, he will come to shepherd his flock like a good shepherd. And then, we, and then, then, then he will liberate his people from their captivity while, in, while they're in exile from him, gathering them into his kingdom, okay? Now, what is astonishing is that this mighty deliverer will be the Lord's what? His suffering servant. He will be punished in the place of sinners in death. And then, then he will rise back to life so that he can justify or, or qualify, if you will, them for heaven. You can go read about all of this in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 12. And then, then there were centuries that passed, okay? And then there, there is this um, explosive moment 
where Jesus emerges in Galilee. The verse actually says, proclaiming the gospel of God. He says, the time has come and that the kingdom of God is near to repent, believe in the gospel. That's all in Mark chapter 1. Over in the New Testament, the gospel becomes crystal clear. When Jesus, he, he, he unveils as the promise, he's unveiled, I should say, as the promised king who will save sinners in his kingdom. There are many versions of the gospel of God because it concerns a person, not a formula, okay? But we see that there are two themes that emerge in them, okay? First, there's his identity, right? And that is Jesus is Lord. And then there's his activity. That is Jesus as our Savior. Both of them are, are, are good news for the world. Okay, when we look at Romans, which, like I said, that's Paul's masterpiece, in my opinion, specifically Romans chapter one, verses one to four, we read there where, where Paul explains that the gospel of God is for what? For all nations regarding his son. So what does that tell us? That tells us that if we're not talking about Jesus, then we're not talking about the gospel. When you look at the writings of Paul, what you'll notice is that he repeatedly summarizes it with a phrase, and that phrase is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, that's in the book of Acts, that's in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. <coughs> now here's a funny way to do it. Here's a funny way to do it. How, how you've heard me break down verses. We can do that with Jesus. Jesus means the crucified Galilean of history. Christ, that means the promised Messiah and Savior of the Old Testament. Lord, Lord in this case means the divine and risen King over all. Jesus Christ, Lord. The gospel of God celebrates just how amazing Jesus is. Jesus is Christ, our Lord. And then it tells us, it tells us what he has done, because it says Jesus is our Savior. The gospel also does something else. It celebrates the four greatest achievements of Jesus. It does. Take a look. Christ came as our King. When we look, at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, when you look at the Gospel of John in its entirety, it's entitled this. It's entitled, The Good News, of God, the Good News or Gospel about Jesus the Messiah. And it announces this. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news gospel of God. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is the king that the people had been waiting for, who, who will re rescue the people into his heavenly kingdom with his merciful forgiveness, with his wise teaching, his, his compassionate miracles. Jesus demonstrated the benefits of living under his rule through all of this. So 
as you can see, as the gospel grows, the kingdom, you know, it also grows the kingdom of God in, in this world. The people, they surrender to the rule of Jesus and they become citizens of his heavenly kingdom. Again, let's look at another one. Christ died for our sins. This time we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. When you read that, we see Paul remind the Corinthians of God's saving gospel. He says this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died. And no, my Muslim friends, that does not mean as a victim. He died voluntarily for our sins as, as our loving, our, our self-sacrificing substitute. Paul said he died according to the scriptures. He did it to satisfy the justice of God. His death, it's undeniable because he was buried by his disciples. And then we read this, Christ rose to rule. This time we're going to stick with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, because Paul continues on and he says, he was raised on the third day, what's it say? According to the scriptures. The New Testament happily proclaims this. Just as, just as it was promised in the Old Testament, okay? He was raised to life. He took his throne in heaven. Paul reminds us this. He says, Jesus, it says, Jesus, his resurrection is undeniable, okay? Because what happened after that? After he was raised from the dead, Jesus appeared to several large groups of people, all right? You cannot, this cannot be denied. Next up, we have Christ will, Jesus will return as a judge. This time, we're going to be looking at the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Because it's a, this one here, it, it, it gets me when, it really gets, this one really gets to me when I'm evangelizing. And also, it's the reason that many people do not want to evangelize. Or, I should say, are against it. Because they do not realize that the Bible tells us that judgment is part of the gospel. The verse says it. It says, the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. When you use the way of the master, Jesus constantly told the people that his judgment will be the start of an eternity of extra of, 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 I can't think of a better word, extravagant blessing. For, and this is for his repentant followers. But when you refuse to repent, what's promised to you is an eternity of torment in hell. That's the reason a lot of people are against evangelizing. They don't want to talk about that. There are spectacular benefits of the gospel. And that is a life 
in, in God's heavenly kingdom. The gospel has been called the gospel of peace, the gospel of hope, the gospel of righteousness, the gospel of life. You've probably heard me call it that sometimes. Grace. Now, no, that does not mean that when we talk about peace or we talk about hope that we're proclaiming the gospel. These things just describe the benefits of the gospel to the believer. We start to experience the, the reassuring comfort of peace with God even when we experience tragedy and pain. People often look at me and go, how are you holding it together? It's the uplifting encouragement of, of hope in heaven. That deep satisfaction of the, uh, what a lot of people don't like it when I say it, but the abundant life, because I, because we know God. The joy of Christ's righteousness counted as our own and, and growing in it, the sweet generosity of God's grace. One day, one day Jesus is going to return. And we will know all of these joys perfectly. As I said, the benefit of the gospel is life in the kingdom of God. The blessing that, that was promised to Abraham. You could, honestly, you could take everything I just said and summarize it in one word, and that is swap. God became an ordinary man in Jesus, and he swapped places with his people on the cross. It was there that, that Jesus was treated like we should have been. He was punished for our sins so that we can be treated like we were Jesus and accepted by God as his children. Why? Because despite everything, despite all of that, God loves us. The gospel is not a, a good idea. The gospel is not, you know, good advice. It's good news. Remember how I said that there are people today, and, and you guys don't realize this, I'm talking about respected preachers, teachers, priests, ministers of the gospel who, who are against evangelism this isn't new though when you look at second corinthians chapter 5 you'll see that paul paul defends his unimpressive and unpopular evangelism from the scorn of false teachers there we see where he reveals five of his motives for evangelizing and guess what every one of them relates to Christ. The first is, is, is obedience to Christ. He says, we make it our aim to please him. That's in chapter five, verse nine. If you have followed the ministry long enough, okay, you know, one of my favorite moments was when Jesus called his disciples and, and there we see him say, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's why you see me wear the hook, the hook bracelet around my wrist, and I wear the ball caps and everything. If you are a believer, if you are a true believer, you should be evangelizing. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, what do we see? We, we read a commandment from Jesus. You know what it says? 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's a commandment to you. Secondly, we see Paul give it. The second thing we see Paul give us is the fear of Christ. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. One day, Jesus will, will reward our evangelism. Because you see, among the many ways to love our community and to relieve suffering, is evangelism. It should be our highest priority because it rescues people from an eternity in hell. The third the third one Paul the third motive Paul gives is gratitude. Gratitude to Christ. He says, "The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died." that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised. That's chapter 5, verse 14. The love of Christ was expressed in suffering and shame. The pain and the hell that we deserve for what we have done, for our sins, for our rebellion against God, on that cross, that should drive all of you believers, all of us, to, to go and tell other people about him. The fourth motive that, that Paul gives us is the message, the message of Christ. He says, all this is from God who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God makes his appeal through us. That's chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Through the apostles back then, as well as you know, all faithful preachers who've proclaimed God's gospel now, God calls people to be reconciled to him. The fifth one that Paul that the fifth motive that Paul gives us is the day of Christ. He says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. That's in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This age that we live in today, the last days before Christ returns, is the wonderful age of evangelism, when God is constantly calling people from all nations to salvation through the gospel. Our evangelism should be motivated by obedience the obedience to the command of Jesus, by the fear of the judgment of Jesus, by our gratitude for the love of Jesus, by the responsibility for the message, and, and, and even beyond that, the excitement for the opportunity that, that, that's given to us in these days that we're living in. Now, Let's take a deep breath because we're going we're gonna to keep going. Like I said, I have a lot to say here. <sighs> there are many wonderful passages in the Word of God that, that prescribe a godly evangelistic method. First, this one should be easy, but 
a loving church. When we look at Acts chapter 2, verses, verse 4, uh, or I should say 42 to 47, it says, it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And in that early morning church right there in Jerusalem, which had had recently filled with the Holy Spirit for uh, prophesying the word, the wonder of Jesus. It was not just a few gifted individuals. It was the whole church. The whole church was devoted to learning, to loving, to sharing, to praying that they can lead people to be saved. And they were doing it daily. Again, this one should be easy too, but... It has to be said, a respectful manner. When you look in the Bible, you'll find where Peter instructed Christians that, that were scattered all over the Roman Empire, that, that were uh, experiencing persecution, to, to speak gentle and honest. He said, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord Always be prepared to give an, give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That might sound radical, but when you believe in the gospel— that Jesus is Lord, and that he authorizes your evangelism and is sovereign over our conversations, then fear will just be dissolved away. We should be equipped to answer questions and, and never be afraid to say, I don't know, right? Because that's honesty. Be ready to testify of your hope in Jesus. When we speak, we should be gentle we should, we should be respectful. We need to remember that we were once like those people, those lost. We were ignorant of the things of God. We need to keep a clear conscience before God. You know, re reject, don't, don't go out and exaggerate. Don't exploit. If you sit there and you promise false things, things like wealth and health, then you're taking advantage of a need. And guess what? That's evil. All right. Third is, of course, you know, cultural flexibility. And I'm going to, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to, I'm going to add a little bit here. But when we read Paul, we see Paul explain that, you know, while he, he will never twist the message in order to make it more palatable, he was always willing to be culturally flexible. And he would, you know, radically contextualize his ministry. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all people, and that by all means I, will, I might save some. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Now I'm going to add a little bit here because, you know, I after I was typing up my notes here, I, I got to thinking a little bit more on that, what I should say about that. Because, um, and I was talking with my wife this morning over breakfast about it. 
there is a man there. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently and, and the preacher was talking about a friend of his who went to India and he had a church there and he, he bought like he, he hand built his own pulpit and he was going to stand before the people and he was going to preach <clears throat> and he bought himself a nice suit with a really nice jacket and he looked slick. Right. So he, he got, he stood before him to preach and, uh, a man came up to him and was talking about you know, how, how offended the people were because he was talking over them. And basically what he learned was that over in India, the people like to, to sit and talk with the, you know, they, they like to learn from someone who's on their level, sitting down with them, talking to them. You know, so he would, he started taking his jacket off and sitting down with them to talk and his church grew because of that. That is, he he didn't twist the gospel in any way. He just uh, he 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 got down. He he used culture, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using the culture that way. You know, you see, like um, like Muslims. One of the things that the Muslims look at us Christians for, we we will take our Bible right and we'll read it anywhere. We'll sit it on a chair, on a bench, whatever, wherever we are. We will take our Bible. To them, the Bible, you know, the, the Quran is something that they they cherish. They wrap it in silk before they put it away. They always put it in high places because they they say it's the holy word. It should be it should be cherished and not just. There's nothing wrong with our way of handling the Bible, but they go, well, you, you shouldn't sit it on a, a seat because that's where people sit. You shouldn't sit it on a on a, a, a footstool because that's where people put their feet. It should be on a high place. That's what you, when you, we should look at the culture that we're going into. That's why Paul went up to Mars Hill because that's where people would go to Mar They would go to Mars Hill to preach, well, to to speak, like just to philosophers and things like that. Always be cult. Look at the culture. Learn a little bit of the culture. So when you're presenting the gospel, you can present it in a culturally sensitive way. That's what I mean by that. So fourth. Fourth is honest sincerity. You know, Paul, he explains that unlike so many false teachers, we are not, quote-unquote, peddlers of God's word. You know, we're not here to profit. We should be people of sincerity. You can read about that in first in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Now, in chapter 4, after he explained that evangelism is the ministry through which, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. He then elaborates on four principles. Number one is to tell the truth. We have renounced disgraceful and unhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper, tamper sorry, with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would command others to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That's in chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. We shouldn't manipulate people. We should not, you know, twist the gospel so that we become more popular. We should do what? We should speak truthfully, right? Second, we should express blindness. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, that's in chapter 4, verse 4. Now listen, 
I want to make sure that you understand that when you bump into an unbeliever and you're trying to evangelize to them, they, 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 they cannot understand the gospel. And that's because there's something that's not, I should say, that's not because there's something wrong with the gospel. All right? I want to make that perfectly clear. It's not because there's something wrong with the gospel. It's because there's something wrong with our audience. They're blind. Okay? And yes, you were at one time as well. You were blinded by the devil. Because of that, we should pray for these people. Next, we, sh- we, we need to proclaim Christ. We do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what Paul says. We proclaim the gospel of Christ. It's in Jesus's character and the cross that we behold the glory of God. And again, as I said, honest sincerity. Paul says, we have their treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power us from God and not from us. We are we're just as weak and as fragile as a as a cheap clay pot. Okay? But the gospel is a priceless treasure. That's what Paul's saying. God wants it that way. So so that people will realize that we're not evangelizing for our benefit. It's not for us. We're evangelizing because the gospel is the truth. Many passages encourage us to to be willing to suffer for the gospel, just like Jesus did. It says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. (coughs) Sorry. And then Paul writes this. Paul says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Sorry, I should have said that. It should not surprise us to discover, okay, that our Lord Jesus' priority was evangelism. Take a look. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. We read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus's priority was evangelism. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus did not only only come to be the gospel, okay, but also he came to proclaim the gospel. Well, and to train his followers to do the same thing. Since God in his Trinitarian holiness is self-giving love in his relationship with the sinners, he's righteous. He's righteous in grace in evangelism, you know, before, before he returns to be righteous in wrath. Okay. So when God took flesh, he came as an evangelist. Look at the scale of Jesus' mission here. What does it say? It says he went through all the towns and all the villages. There were over 200 of them. This was not some, you know, casual stroll. 
This was a determined and demanding effort. For us to be holy like Jesus, we would have to be separate from sin. We would have to be committed to evangelism. Jesus' preaching in small group discussions, you know, conversational counseling, they were not all about, all about parenting or marriage. They were all about salvation. Jesus did not get distracted by his healing ministry. No, he preached the gospel. Matthew chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Go take a look. If you follow the way of the master, you will see the godliness is evangelistic. Okay? So yes, the church should be defined by the teaching of the Bible. But the purpose of that Bible teaching is to equip us, all of us, to follow the way of the master, Jesus and to be evangelists. The congregation of the church, okay, should not be like a bunch of passengers on a cruise ship, you know, all comfortable. We should be like the crew of a lifeboat who are trying to save as many people as we can from drowning in sin. Jesus, our master, his priority was evangelism, and his motivation was Compassion, like we read in Mark chapter 9, verse 36. Okay. Jesus, he saw what was what was beneath, you know, what was beneath the appearance. He saw beneath the skin. He saw our spiritual needs. When he looked at those crowds, he saw them like a flock of sheep. They were prone to wander. They were vulnerable to predators. They were hungry for food. But they're, they're, uh, the flock is precious to the farmer. Despite, you know, des- they, they were desperately in need of a good shepherd. Just like we read in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11, you see God, God sees Israel. He sees that they're desperately in need of a good pastoral ministry. You know, and that begins with evangelism. We read this. I myself will search for my sheep. I will rescue them. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them. Jesus, he sees people, not, not as, as wicked sinners who are, who are deserving of retribution. No, he sees them as harassed, which means flayed and stressed, and helpless, meaning flattened and burdened. I need you to understand something, okay? Please, when you go out there and you evangelize, they don't need us. They need Jesus. The word here, compassion, that's used by Jesus here. We only see it used of Jesus in the Gospels. It's always used in speaking of how Jesus sees the people. Compassion means entrails. It, 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 it describes a gut-wrenching tenderness. The primary reason that most people struggle to evangelize in our world today is not that they're, they're most hostile, you know, or I should say more hostile than other countries, but I want you to be honest with yourself because it's because we do not see the people the way that Jesus saw them with gut-wrenching compassion. Jesus' strategy 
was praying with with the workers. Take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38. He identified two features of the age. He said that the harvest is plentiful, but that the workers are few. Do you see, our challenge is not to not the hardness of the society. It's the shortage of the worker. I don't mean clergy. I mean believers like you and me, people who, who are prepared to evangelize. There's not a shortage of opportunity, okay? We're surrounded by unbelievers today. Look at the, watch TV. You don't even have to even go out. Just watch TV and you'll see. We're surrounded by unbelievers. And Jesus describes himself as what? The Lord of the harvest, who was, was willing to send out workers. He then demonstrates that, he, when he, he demonstrates that, I should say, when he sends out the 12. You read that in chapter 10. If you were to evangelize the world by, by making disciples in, in, in any country, any community, cross-cultural, church planting, we need to begin with praying, okay? We need to pray to Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. Our Lord finally encourages his people in, in the life-consuming task of evangelism with a stunning vision in Revelation chapter 7. There we see a multicultural feast of the Lamb. It's at that feast we will celebrate our Savior with the multitudes. No one can count how many people will be there from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. All of them gathered there. Through what? Evangelism. I want to thank you all for joining me here. I pray that I got my point across with this one. I thought it, I thought I honestly thought I'd go a lot longer than I did. I'm surprised. So I want to thank you all for joining me here. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep you, and I'll see you all soon. God bless you, and I love you. You have been listening to Sermons in the Park with Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Be sure to follow us on YouTube, BitChute, and Rumble. And as always, thank you for listening. There's joy for the morning, sinner be still. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. So lay down your 